Hi, everybody, and welcome to Humanity First. My name is Peter Evers, and uh, we have a couple of uh, guests today who are, uh, first of all, uh, very grateful for them coming on the show. But we're going to talk about EI. We're going to talk about early intervention today. So um, on the show, we have Mary Trembley, who is our assistant director of the EI program. Hi, Mary. How are you? Hi, Peter. Good. How are you? Lovely to have you on the show. And also Thank Ashley McDonald, who is a former employee of EI and a parent uh, who is at the moment um, um, engaged with services with EI. So I think we can have a really good discussion about um, a couple of things, really. Um, familiarizing people with what EI is, because I think there's some confusion around um, early childhood services. I think that's going to help and uh, and give people an idea of what the service is, which is always good because, um, you know, people need to know what services are out there. But I'd like to talk a little bit about the last, uh, well, actually, it's going to be three years, believe it or not, since uh, March of 2020, and how that affected EI services with the pandemic. Um, and I know it's been really, really difficult, and I know I want to talk about that a little bit. But I'm also interested in hearing a little bit about, you know, was were there adapted, were there technologies that um, that we uh, used under false adoption that we're still using, and what are some of the lessons that we learned? Um, and are is our service system really different uh, than it was in February of 2020? So I think those are the things that I'd like to. Uh, cover and talk a little bit about uh, what it means to receive EI services and how they help and maybe a couple of stories about how that help manifests itself. So um, that would be great. Um, so Mary, maybe we could start with you just a little bit about EI services, a little bit of the history of the services and um, and what gap EI um, was filling in when, when the service came about. Sure, sure. So um, early intervention is part of um, part C of the IDEA Act, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Um, so it provides services for children under three, zero to three years um, with developmental delays, at risk for developmental delays, or with certain diagnoses that could potentially impact um, their development. Um, the majority of services that we provide are in the home with family members or caregivers, whoever's with that child the most during their day. We do have some services that take place in our center for um, socialization groups um, for different reasons, but the majority is in the home for, um, and we really follow a, what we consider a parent teaching model um, what we know about children under three is that they learn best from from familiar people in their familiar environment through their daily routines, things that they do every day. So what we look to do is go into the home, try and see where what a parent's what a parent and child's day looks like, and where can we um, intervene within that routine to support that child in the area that they need that they need help in. Yeah, so you know, in in the world that I came from, kids, it, it sounds very much um, like the the sort of physical health manifestation of child-parent psychotherapy in a way. This notion of connecting parents and children, as opposed to working with children, which of course you know, with when you when you're talking about this age group, that's actually where the where the work really happens. 
what you say, of course, is really kind of disturbing when you think that the majority of the work is done in people's homes. Um, and <clears throat> in March of 2020, suddenly people said you can't go into other people's homes. You can't go out unless you're getting toilet roll. Right. I say that because <laughs> that that's something I remember. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've told this story before that we thought we'd been really clever, my partner and I, and we ordered some um, toilet paper from a, a company uh, and it didn't come and it didn't come. And eventually they said it's arrived and it was actually in the mailbox. And these these uh, toilet rolls were about two inches <laughs> tall. <laughs> so somebody was doing well. But um, but yeah, we go from this, this incredibly intense um, interaction with families uh, and, and babies to not being able to do that. <laughs> Both of you, how did that feel? First of all, maybe Ashley, it, it, obviously, I'm not sure if you were receiving the service back then because I'm doing my math in my head. <laughs> because, um, uh, but, but what was that like? What was when that happened? Both of you, what? I mean, you must have been panicking. Yeah, I think um, so. My daughter, Celia, we can call her Cece. Um, she was born in December 2021. So kind of that second wave of COVID, um, there was a ton of cases around us. I remember being really nervous around the time that she was being born. Um, so she was born with club foot, um, bilateral club feet, um, which is a condition that needs to be addressed um, pretty shortly after birth, um, two weeks. So I remember being really nervous of catching it and having her treatment delayed. Um, this was something that we had to go into the hospital weekly for, um, and we had all her appointments lined up. We had our surgery lined up. We had our evaluation with EI lined up afterwards. Um, so it was really nerve wracking. Um, just even like having people coming over to meet her, having our friends come over and meet her because we were so afraid of catching something and having her treatment either get delayed or have her in um, part of the treatments wearing weekly casts or so she having her in the cast longer than she needed to be. Um, so it was definitely a challenging time. Um, I will say our experience with EI, um, I know personally we have had to miss a few in-person appointments um, for being exposed to COVID or having COVID. Um, so telehealth has been a huge help. Um, just a way that we can check in, connect, make sure everything is going on track. Um, so that's really been like a saving grace um, in all of this. I'm can sure. Sorry, go on. I'm sure Mary feels the same way. Uh, <laughs> who have potentially been exposed instead of missing all their appointments. It it got you know now we're much we're very comfortable with with telehealth as you can imagine peter you know in, in 2020 nobody including myself i don't i don't know that i'd even done a zoom meeting never mind try and work with a toddler um you know through zoom and um just as a you know to put a picture in your head you know when we first started doing this and we said okay yeah we're all going to go on zoom and do our visits over zoom and literally the mother would open it up 
on her phone and give the phone to the toddler and then and then walk away. So now you have a toddler running around with the phone and we're going, hello, hello, you know, we need you, you need to stay, you need to stay. And um, so there was certainly a learning curve in terms of how to use telehealth and what was going to work best for a lot of families. Um, but we, we did, we, you know, I think we found um, something that was manageable, certainly not ideal, but, um, but I think we were able to, to find a way to work with families that, that was manageable. Did you find that most of the families had the ability to connect um, by smartphone or by iPad or? Um, there were many families that did not. There was, you know, there was a good amount of families that could. Um, there were uh, many families that could not. And we worked, you know, we the with, um, there were several grants that we got, you know, that helped us get um, devices for those families and get them out to them um, to be able to help do that. Um, the other issue I think that we found, aside from just the access to the devices, was their entire, everybody's entire family was home. So maybe they had a computer, but there were four other children that needed it to go to school and there were parents that needed it to work. And so it was, it was, um, there were many families that did not access it, I think in the way that they would have liked to be able to, or that we would have liked them to be able to for various reasons. Yeah, it's great that we were able to help out. I know um, we got a lot of um, resources coming in. Yes. Um, you know, I think of, um, you know, South Shore Foundation and folks who were really generous with us. And uh, I know that the the helpline was able to, to help with that. So all of that was good. But um, but it does make you think about, you know, I remember I remember I was watching the BBC and, and uh, one of the politicians sort of said, everybody is equally affected by by covid and i thought no they're not that's absolutely not true you know you think about our staff here who are working residential programs who are working you know two weeks on two weeks off so that they um you know minimize the uh, infection uh, right. possibility um i think about people who are dealing with issues of potential disabilities um when um, and that's again the psychological process of going through that Ashley I'm just sort of wondering you know it's it, wow that's hard enough and yet on top of that we're going to put this risk of uh, infection um, and, and there's a real we didn't really know what the risk was to newborns did we we didn't know about transmittal none of that so you you've got that You've got the the worry, as you said before. I'm just trying to imagine it. Of there's a very strict timeline around addressing this physical issue, and if you got, and if you don't do that, you you know things can see at risk as well. Uh, must have just been really really difficult. I think I think one of the things that really interests me is 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 this forced adoption thing because I agree, Mary. We were talking about. Um, using telehealth for a long time. And hospitals were way ahead of us. Um, I worked in a hospital before I came here and they were using that because MGH would have contracts with rural hospitals. And so they would literally, I, I think you've probably seen it, that little that little robot that comes on that has the tennis, the tennis racket head, um, which I always thought was really weird. But, um, but people were very comfortable that we weren't. Um, and the forced adoption thing is, and this is the question, I knew I had a question, um, is, is 
you were you were much more willing and tolerant of making um, uh, mistakes, if you like. Oh, the, the, I, I love the image of the toddler running around the house. With, <laughs> it's just brilliant. They should make a, that should be a TikTok video. Right. But but it's like okay, that's not going to work. Let's fix it rather than saying, well, we can't do that because we'd be worried the toddler will get the. You know, it's a different way of looking at things, and in that way. Maybe we did learn some things from this. No, I think absolutely. I think, you know, I think one of the things, if we can look at, you know, a positive that came out of COVID, and I'm sure there's has to be more than one, but one of the, you know, the things for us that really is a positive is it 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 challenged us to take more of that parent teaching model. We couldn't we couldn't be hands-on with the child. We couldn't be face-to-face -face with them. We couldn't help them sit down and, and look at this book or you know play with this toy. So it was really, all of it was us guiding the parent into how to support the child during these certain activities. And, and that was a direction we were starting to move to before COVID, but this really having to do it through, this, through Zoom really challenged us to do that even more. And, there were parents, you know, that were so involved that they were so, you know, when the, when the time of the visit came and they sat and they, you know, they had all the stuff set up to do what we needed them to do. Um, and they were, those children continued to make great progress because the parent was there and, um, and participating. And that for us, I think was helpful. It, it almost pushed us into having to do that more so now that we are back in homes we still are taking that model and we still are you know we're in the home but we're still facilitating between the parent and the child rather than us and the child ashley from from the person served perspective um do you did you notice a difference did you did you yearn for something for for home visits or or did you feel as if you sort of um you sort of got used to that pretty quickly um i think i got used to it pretty quickly because i had a background in early intervention so i kind of knew what to expect um one of the hidden blessings that i think um this brings is you know a lot of times beforehand it would just be either a mom at home with the child or just the one person who normally watches the child. But with the pandemic, like if had, you had a lot of other family homes. So in my case, my husband was also home. So I really think that forced him to take an active part in my daughter's care, which wouldn't always be the case um, beforehand um, with parents at work. Um, so I really think it helps get the full family involved um which was a great aspect to it um you know it can be challenging at times especially see with physical um things happening and you're seeing a physical therapist you know you really need two people like moving the camera one way to see it an angle like the other person like kind of adjusting the baby to like have the move as the pt like is recommending um but i do think it makes the parents like take an active role like I felt um like more confident um because like I had a PT like walking me through how to do things 
Um, and I was doing myself. So I was getting the extra practice in front of a professional. So I felt more confident doing it when the video wasn't on um, and carrying it over into our like daily life. How's she doing now, by the way? She's doing awesome. She's um, so she just turned one and she's walking. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, walking all over the house. She's standing <laughs> up on her own, crawling, like all over stuff. Um, so she's doing amazing. She's had a really good result. And, you know, I truly think it's because of the early action um, with early intervention and having a PT, like with our entire journey. Um, she went from casts um, to boots. Um, she wore like a boots and bar on her feet for three months. Now she just wears them at night. Um, but we've had a ton of guidance. Um, we see Christine. She's an <laughs> um, but a ton of guidance, a ton of recommendations, and she's just honestly developing beautifully from it. Oh, that's such a lovely success story. I'm yeah. so glad to know. I have a question for you. That, um, and this is I I was um, I was home visiting my um, my sister um, last year. And she has a grandchild. I have no none, just to be clear. Um, <laughs> I would like some, but doesn't matter. Um, but Alex is uh, Alex is one, so he's 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 actually born in November of twenty one. So he's he's got a month on Cecilia. But um, but um, what I was really fascinated was was if there was a phone hanging right now he doesn't have a phone clearly but if there's a phone hanging around it's the weirdest thing he zips over to it and he's and he's pressing buttons but is that is that true in your case yes I <laughs> and i think i think a big part of it is because she has been born during this time i feel like she facetimes everyone in our family like her grandparents, her aunts, her cousins. Um, so like I'll get a phone call and she'll come running over to the phone looking to see who's on the phone. And she doesn't realize that it's not a video call. And she's like, she's like, where, where's Papa? Like, like looking on the phone for them. Um, so it's really become an expectation. Like, oh, when mom is on the phone talking with someone, it's going to be a video. I'm going to see them. I'm going to get to wave. They're going to say hi to me. Um, so I think that makes them like drawn towards the phone, yeah. um, for better or for worse. I don't know. <laughs> I doubt, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that's a debate that will go on um, <laughs> for a long time, and 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 that, and I, I, who knows? But it's just that um, the strength of the pull is just incredible, and it's like, and it's just another manifestation of human beings need to communicate. I think, and and that's a you know that it just happens to be the easiest uh way um you know certainly when i was a kid we had one telephone and it, and and in england they had a thing called a party line i don't know if they had that here but basically the other you shared the line with somebody and so you could pick up the phone and listen to your neighbors <laughs> and they used to do the same thing to us so we've come a long way in that in in that regard and and it, i think it is about being adaptive as well and it seems like you certainly were able to do that. Um, Mary, a question for you, um, yeah. just sort of broadening out a little bit. Uh, okay, it's three, it's three years um, before, since this started. We now have, I'm assuming, national um, statistics are, that are looking at quality outcomes. Um, is there any, or is it too, 
early? Is there any academic um, research which is beginning to point um, at what this has meant for this um, this group of new arrivals over the last two two and a half years? I I can't speak to academic research. I you know I can certainly speak to what we've seen since um, children have started to come back um, into our groups and into our center. And um, I do think that what we're seeing is um, that how that lack of social and interaction opportunities has really impacted um, kind of all over. You know, I think even if there was not necessarily a cognitive issue, um, the social piece, and, and now we're having children come into a group that have never been, for so long, parents would have, bring them here and say, this is, the, we haven't been anywhere in a year. This is the first place they've been in a year. And, and just for the child to be able to function in an environment like that was difficult, never mind, you know, to start to learn or to interact or, so I think that's the biggest Thing, you know, we call them or when we evaluate the children, they'll say, oh, it's a, my COVID baby, my COVID baby, um, because they've just lived this life of isolation. And, mm. and now they're just finally two year olds that are just finally getting out into the world and doing things. And, um, and that's taking some time. And I don't know that we were really prepared to see that. I think we thought, oh, they're just going to come back and they're going to be happy to be here. And but it's it's definitely taken us to like we've had to readjust kind of our expectations, um, what we expect children, you know, in terms of social interaction and and play, um, based on just that limited exposure that they've had for the past two years. Yeah, I mean, I and I think I think there's probably quite a few years before we see what the what the results of this are with with this with this population. But I do I always think that. Um, you know, the most optimistic thing is about little ones is their plasticity in terms of their ability to bounce back and to recover and to adapt and um, and that I think that that uh, that we should be very grateful for. Well, thank you so much for spending a bit of time with us. Um, Ashley, thank you for agreeing to come and and share your story. It's um, it was wonderful. And Mary, thank you very much for shedding some light on the past and what we've been through <laughs> over the last three years. And uh, hopefully we can have you back on to continue the, the story. So thank you so much. Really I hope so. It. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me. Thanks.